hello and welcome back to the podcast show novelty analysis with your host gloria this is officially the end of the series of fahrenheit 451 about me talking about it so we're going to talk about our last character guy montek the primary character and yeah let's just get right into it so guy montek is the husband of mildred montek who is the first secondary character i talked about if you want to go listen to that episode um go ahead but like after this one so he's the husband of her and he works with his captain Beatty at the fire department and he goes to faber and gringer uh, as guides he that's where he kind of gets his wisdom or advice from and those are other secondary characters as well so some of the things that i would like to mention are his characteristics that contribute to his role in this book so i once heard this quote from a show that i watched as a kid and it goes like this some people are chosen for greatness others are born into it some are lucky to stumble upon it but some just happen to be around for it at the right time and at the right place and i think what the difference between being lucky and just being there at the right time and right place is because being lucky can go 50 50 you know you have a 50 percent chance of everything working out good or you have a 50 percent chance of everything going wrong whereas right time and right place is like it's meant to be as if it were destiny and so Montag is also the protagonist of Fahrenheit 451. He is also a dynamic character, and if you don't remember what a dynamic character is, or did not learn what a dynamic character is, um, it's basically a character that changes throughout the story of the book. And remember, I am using the 60th anniversary edition with a new introduction by Neil Gaiman. Just thought I should mention that. Okay, so some things I noted this are that Montag often disassociates himself from his body, specifically his hands, and expresses emotions of desperation, anger, and being overwhelmed. It can be assumed that once Clarice is killed off, he goes through a period of grief for her and for his failed marriage with Mildred. Now, part of this was from my observation, but also part of it was some character analysis from this website called Sparknotes. And so I didn't get all my information from there. I just kind of wanted to see what they had to say just to get, you know, some more ideas to talk about. So we're going to open the book to page one. Because now we're going to be looking at evidence to help support my claims. So for the disassociation, we already see that on the first page in a line that goes like this. With the brass nozzle in his fists, with this great python spitting its venomous kerosene upon the world, the blood pounded in his head, and his hands were the hands of some amazing conductor, playing all the symphonies of blazing and burning to bring down the tatters and charcoal ruins of history. Now, what I noticed is that he often disassociates himself from his hands um, whenever he's doing something that's destructive or as we see later on as he changes that he comes to see as quote-unquote bad or something that doesn't align with who he really is 
And so we also see that in pages 35, 38, 84, 100, and 101. I thought I would list off the pages instead of having me just go find them randomly and then read off those lines um, just for the sake of time. Okay, and then we move on to page 5. And that's just to um, talk about his age. So, um, so he's 30 years old because he says he was married since he was 20, which was 10 years ago. So that means he's 30 now. And then we go to page six, yeah, six to seven. Yes, sorry. Trying to find my notes here to see how it shows how the culture shaped his views for a while. So this is when Montag barely meets our Catalyst character, Clarice McClellan, for the first time. And so they're talking, it's kind of like filler words, you know, just kind of peppy talk, just to have something to say instead of just being surrounded together in awkward silence. So Clarice, since she's kind of the odd one out along with her family in this story, Um, She's saying things that are making Montag kind of like questioning her. So he says stuff like, haven't you any respect? And you're changing the subject. And you think too many things. And so this just shows um, how what I would like to say the society has kind of impaled on him to think. Not even really impaled, just influenced his way of thinking. Uh, Kind of like... Oh yeah, so you gotta question this and that, like these certain things, because we don't really do that around here, because we're creating the new normal, and you're just gonna have to like adapt to it. So that's what I kind of noticed. And then, yeah, that's basically it. And basically it's the same thing on page 7. So for pages 8 through 9, we see where he starts to do a little bit of reflection and the reason why i want to emphasize his reflection skills is because that really helps to shape his individuality and his thinking i don't think of it as the thing that made him start being curious and all that but i just think it's a tool that was useful for him to help him start thinking for himself so you see that on pages eight through nine okay and it goes like this what asked montag after that other self the subconscious idiot that ran babbling at times quite independent of will habit and conscious um and that's just after he and clarice had parted ways and he's on his way home and then there's also some other pages where we see him uh, show off his reflection skills. I didn't note down all of them, but these are just like some places that I saw it most prevailing. And so it's pages 64, 73, 116, and 134. Okay, and then let's see. Alright, now we go on to page 11 because that is one of the most epic examples that shows that he has the capacity for compassion and pain which are key elements to being human 
because a lot of the societal characters in this book, the third party people, are dehumanized, almost robotic, and just molded into the way that they were not born to be, but made to be. Because, I don't know if you want to blame it on this utopian government or dystopian government or just the media and all that, but it is definitely because of something bigger than themselves. So you also see him show the capacity for compassion and pain on pages 25, 29, 36, and 116. Now we go on to page 14 because this is what I believe the first time the audience sees Montague think for himself. It also takes place in pages 43 and 63. So let's go ahead to go to page 14. And the line starts off like this. There are too many of us, he thought. There are billions of us, and that's too many. Nobody knows anyone. Strangers come and violate you. Strangers come and cut your heart out. Strangers come and take your blood. And this is right after he has found Mildred just knocked out by all the drugs she took all the painkillers or sleeping pills that she took and then after he had to call for emergency help and then they just put this kind of sneaky tube down her throat to take out her blood and then replace it with a new one and it was just a very overwhelming experience for him okay now we go on to the next page 15 and this is where we see some of his wild thinking patterns that could be one of the causes of when he feels overwhelmed. We also see it in pages 103, 121, um, 93, and 98. So it starts like this. One drop of rain, Clarice, another drop, Mildred, a third, the uncle, a fourth, the fire tonight, one, Clarice, two, Mildred, three, uncle, four, fire, one, Mildred, two, Clarice, one, two, three, four, five, Clarice, Mildred, uncle, fire, sleeping tablets, men, disposable tissue, coattails, blow, wad, flush, Clarice, Mildred, uncle, fire, tablets, tissues, blow, wad, fish, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, rain, the storm, the uncle, laughing, thunder, falling, downstairs the whole world pouring down the fire gushing up in a volcano all rushing on down around in a spouting roar and river being streamed toward morning so it's kind of like what i would like to think of as a fast motion picture you know you don't really have time to process everything and you just gotta try and see how it all makes sense if the pieces even fit together and so that's what we see him struggle with Okay, now we go on to page 17, where he tries to have a serious conversation with his wife Mildred about the night that she took all the sleeping pills and just almost died. But we also see that there's lack of understanding in their marital communication, which could be one of the main trouble points or something that's blocking their relationship from actually being healthy and productive and having a chance to grow like this is one of the main like stopping points that I see or or red flags that is just like really messing up their relationship and so the lines that I would like to take to you to are yes he said I wanted to talk to you he paused you took all the pills in your bottle last night no I wouldn't do that she said surprised the bottle was empty I wouldn't do a thing like that. Why would I do a thing like that, she said. And so we continue to see 
bits and pieces of how he's trying to communicate to her, how she's just kind of in denial and trying to make up lies, almost like gaslighting, but I wouldn't say quite like that. I'm not too sure, but definitely you see some similarities between this conversation and future conversations that they have. Okay, now... Oh, it also takes place on page 21. Okay, now we go... Oh, excuse me, 21 is for a different thing. Okay, so on page 21 is where we see his curiosity start to light up a bit. Um, we also see it in pages 40, 48, 49, and 31. So let's go to page let's 21. Okay. So, let me just find my place. Okay, I believe the line that I was trying to focus on was this. When I talk, you look at me. When I said something about the moon, you looked at the moon last night. The others would never do that. The others would walk off and leave me talking or threaten me. No one has time anymore for anyone else. You're one of the few who put up with me. That's why I think it's so strange you're a fireman. It just doesn't seem right for you somehow. And so for that line, I think I used this line for Clarice um, to say how she was an analytical thinker. But I also thought that I could use this line to show how open-minded Guy Montag is and to show his curiosity because, yeah, I mean, she's right. Not many people look up to the sky or just look around to see who's really there, what's really there. And that's where I saw a hint of his curiosity. Now we go on to page 24. Now, 24 is where, or one of the hints that the audience sees that Montag has a secret. We don't see it first on page 24. Um, it pops up in previous pages, but 24 was the place that I marked it. And so the line goes like this. But Montag did not move, and only stood thinking of the ventilator grill in the hall at home and what lay hidden behind the grill. If someone here in the firehouse knew about the ventilator, then why didn't they tell the hound? And remember, the mechanical hound is a thing that the fire department uses in this society to go hunt out who still has books in their homes, and then it either kills that person with its own poison that it has in its machinery or it alerts the fire department and then the fire department goes to that house and burns it down and so basically this is Montag's secret he has books in his own home as a fireman which is not allowed and they're hidden in this ventilator and so that's the thing that he's afraid of that Either the hound or his captain will find out, and then he'll be toast. <laughs> he'll just be done for. So then we go on to pages 39 through 41, where we see some more kind of like descriptions of additional marriage issues that he has. And we also see it take place in page 44. So let's go to 39. So the line goes like this. He was in someone else's house, like those other jokes people told of the gentleman drunk coming home late at night, unlocking the wrong door, entering the wrong room, 
embedding with a stranger and getting up early and going to work and neither of them the wiser. Mm, let's see. And then on page 41. And he remembered thinking then that if she died, he was certain he wouldn't cry. For it would be the dying of an unknown, a street face, a newspaper image. And it was suddenly so very wrong that he had begun to cry. Not at death, but at the thought of not crying at death. A silly empty man near a silly empty woman, while the hungry snake made her still more empty. Well, wasn't there a wall between him and Mildred when you came down to it? So, yes, he is starting to recognize, um, again, reflect, and acknowledge that their marriage isn't really much of a marriage. I mean, legally, yes, it is, but concerning love, no, it's it's just how he said, it's just two strangers together and really no way to get out. So, yeah, that's another problem. They kind of just settled for each other. And, I don't know, I mean, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would say, oh, it's not bad to settle, but in this case, it also doesn't seem that much better than not settling, so, either way, they didn't make much of a great choice. And there's a line somewhere later on in the book where Montag is asking Mildred, do you remember when he met, when we met? And Mildred is like, oh, I can't remember, I can't remember. Hmm, silly how I can't remember. Oh well, it doesn't matter. And Montek's like, but doesn't it matter? I mean, shouldn't you remember stuff like that for someone you love? And later on, towards the end of the book, when he's trying to escape from all the people that are trying to run after him, um, he's like, Chicago, that's where I met, Chicago. Okay, just thought I might throw that tidbit in there. Okay, and now we go on to page 51 where it shows how his obedience has chained him down. And yes, I do think that obedience can chain someone down. I also think that it can free someone, but again, it depends on certain situations. And we also see that take place in page 97. But for now, we're going to go on to page 51. Okay, so this is where... Montag has okay this is after Montag has gone to work again and the fire alarm rings so they go to a house where a woman has a a lot of books and they have to burn well not that they burned it because once they put all the gasoline all over her house she was like you're not gonna take me away from my books um so she kind of like takes hold of the situation on her own and she lights the fire herself and so the firemen just get out of there and Montag is just traumatized from the experience so he goes home and he's not feeling really good and he gets kind of like a fever and so Mildred is like no you can't be sick, you can't be sick, you have to go into work today actually you were supposed to go into work two hours ago um come on you're gonna go to work right? and Montag's like no like maybe tomorrow, maybe next week maybe never and so Mildred is like, no, you can't. Like, don't you care about the money? Like, we have to pay and stuff. And, oh, you're going to stay? Because, like, tonight I was going to go see my friends. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go. Especially with BD being there. Like, no, I'm not. And then BD ends up coming to his house. And Montag's like, oh, no. Just, like, let him in. And so BD comes. And BD's giving this whole entire speech about books and people and how books 
yeah, first they were pretty good for society, but then they started saying a lot of offensive things that offended certain people. So it's like, hey, let's just like take them away altogether just to keep the happiness. Because I mean, people seem to care more about happiness, and it pays. So let's just do it then. That's basically the gist. And so here's a paragraph that I would like to read off, and it goes like this. And because they had mass, they became simpler. Sibiri. Once books appealed to a few people here, there, everywhere, they could afford to be different. The world was roomy. But then the world got full of eyes and elbows and mouths. Double, triple, quadruple population. Films and radios, magazines, books leveled down to a sort of paste-putting norm. Do you follow me? I think so. And so it's just kind of like Montag on autopilot. He's just going with the flow. And this is a place where we see his curiosity reflection and just his own self kind of die down for his boss which really shouldn't happen and so that's what i wanted to mention so that's page 51 and then we're gonna go back and just address all of page 58 to 60 where we where we are shared with his kind of experience where he's facing his fear well somewhat fear of BD finding out his secret and it's just Montreg trying to keep it cool you know but Mildred's fiddling around and the thing is Montag from the last fire with the old woman who burned down her entire house on her own uh, he stole a book from there well not stole but took I don't know he he got a book from there and he didn't have time to put it in the ventilator so he just put it under his pillow where Mildred is trying to like you know make it all neat and stuff while Montag is sitting with Beatty and Beatty across from him so it was just all together kind of really awkward and Montag's like stop like just leave me alone it's like trying to whisper to her at the side and then Beatty's just ignoring them going on and on and on and then BD, not BD, Mildred is like, oh, like, what's the problem? We just fix your pillow. And then she feels something under his pillow, um, traces the shape of it. Her eyes go wide. She walks out. And then all of a sudden, the TV goes on or the walls, whatever, the media that is, that they have, that they own, is way up high. He can barely hear himself, BD. And Mildred is starting to say something, and he can read her list, but he doesn't want to look at her too long, otherwise Beatty will notice, and then look at her, and then be able to read her lips, and then maybe his secret will be found out. So it's just overall a little bit of a stressful situation for Montag. Um, let's see. And then we go on to page 62, where it shows his truthfulness and honesty. So let's go there. Hmm. Okay. So, the paragraphs, yes, paragraphs, go like this. Millie, he paused, this is your house as well as mine. I feel it's only fair that I tell you something now. I should have told you before, but I wasn't even admitting it to myself. I have something I want you to see, something I've put away and hid during the past year, now and again, once in a while. I didn't know why, but I did it, and I never told you. He took hold of a straight-backed chair and moved it slowly and steadily into the hall near the front door and climbed up on it and stood for a moment like a statue on a pedestal, his wife standing under him, waiting. 
Then he reached up and pulled back the grill of the air conditioning system and reached far back inside to the right and moved still another sliding sheet of metal and took out a book. Without looking at it, he dropped it to the floor. He put his hand back up and took out two books and moved his hand down and dropped the two books to the floor. He kept moving his hand and dropping books, small ones, fairly large ones, yellow, red, green ones. When he was done, he looked down upon some 20 books lying at his wife's feet. And... This is just one characteristic that I wanted to talk about him because not many people are, well, it's not good, not truthful in this story. Oh, well, maybe they aren't truthful because a lot of the people aren't truthful to themselves. And so I think they convince themselves so much that the lie that they're telling themselves is quote unquote honest to the point where it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to portray this to other people and I'm not, like, not really lying to them. But, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, you don't really get a lot of honest folks in here. And when you do, it's more towards the end. And that's where Faber and Granger and the book revolutionaries come into play. Okay. Now we go on to page 64. And, again, this is where I wanted to address his good reflection skills. Mm, Let's see. Okay, right here. The line starts like this. That woman, the other night, Millie, you weren't there. You didn't see her face. And Clarice, you never talked to her. I talked to her. And men like Beatty are afraid of her. I can't understand it. Why should they be so afraid of someone like her? But I kept putting her alongside the fireman in the house last night. And I suddenly realized I didn't like them at all. Not even like myself at all anymore. And I thought maybe it would be best if the firemen themselves were burnt. Again, more truthfulness, more honesty. And he also like actually acknowledges how he feels he finds out how he feels which is a part of reflection self-reflection as a matter of fact so he he's has not only noticed how he feels but he's also been observant enough reflective enough to notice how Beatty actually feels before even Beatty knows how he feels and even if Beatty did know how he felt before Montag figured out how he felt Beatty just pushed it down he bottled it up and Montag is the one who brings that out into the light not like vocally but at least to us, the audience, he does. Okay. Now we go on to pages 69 through 70, where it shows that Montek's anger for the injustice of knowledge um, really starts to show up in his mannerisms. And this is also part two of Fahrenheit 451, The Sieve and the Sand. So we go on to page 69. And it's going to be a long one, so sit back. It starts like this. What for? Why? said Montag. I saw the damnedest snake in the world the other night. It was dead, but it was alive. It could see, but it couldn't see. You want to see that snake? It's at emergency hospital where they filed a report on all the junk the snake got out of you. Would you like to go and check their file? Maybe you'd look under Guy Montag, or maybe under fear of war. Would you like to go to that house that burnt last night and rake ashes for the bones of the woman who set fire to her own house? What about Clarice McClellan? Where do we look for her? The morgue. Listen. The bombers crossed the sky and crossed the sky over the house gasping, murmuring, whistling like an immense invisible fan circling in emptiness. Jesus God, said Montag, every hour so many damn things in the sky. 
how did those bombers get up there every single second of our lives? Why doesn't someone want to talk about it? We've started and won two atomic wars since 2022. Is it because we're having so much fun at home we've forgotten the world? Is it because we're so rich and the rest of the world's so poor and we just don't care if they are? I've heard rumors. The world is starving, but we're well-fed. Is it true the world works hard and we play? Is that why we're hated so much? And... Yes, this anger, I believe, really helps to push him more towards thinking more for himself. It's not just close anymore, it's his feelings starting to align with his morals. So we have his anger, his wild pattern thinking, and even though it's not the most perfect, it's a good start. Okay, now we move on to page 43 which I believe is the first noticeable hint of his intuition. So now his intuition is starting to develop. So this is where he's starting to, like, now question his own wife, Mildred, about how she feels and trying to make her start to kind of change like him, which she stubbornly does not. And so, he starts it off with this question. Millie, does the White Clown love you? And just for context purposes, the White Clown is this show that is apparently very famous in this future time, um, in this society, at least in this Fahrenheit 51 society. And so it's just a character on the show. But he asks, Millie, does the White Clown love you? No answer. Millie, does... He licked his lips. Does your quote-unquote family love you? Love you very much? love you with all their heart and soul Millie and the family like with air quotes that I'm referring to is it's not even like real people it's just extra characters that have been made up and put on their wall screens whatever you want to call them and they're just automatic you know it's like they're not exactly a show they're just extra characters you know kind of like a video game yeah sure they'll interact with you and stuff but in the end they're not real and they have just a generated list of certain words and sentences phrases to say and yeah you can input your name into the system and they'll say it and then they'll do normal things that normal families do not eat well i mean they may act like they're eating but they're really not but they'll have like arguments and jokes mostly what i've noticed is a lot of fighting but yeah they're just all electronic technological not human and so he really makes makes to start her think and realize their actual situation instead of this fantasy that she's been living in for quite some time now. Okay. And then down at the bottom of the page, there's another line that says, I'm numb, he thought. When did the numbness really begin in my face, in my body, the night I kicked the pill bottle in the dark, like kicking a buried mine? And so this is what I would like to call another reflection and maybe even more intuition. It's just really him developing some more. Okay, now I'm going to page 75 to see some very prevalent desperation and overwhelming feelings that he has. Um, It also takes place in page 84, but for now we'll just go on to page 75. Okay, it goes like this. 
He tore the book open and flicked the pages and felt of them as if he were blind. He picked up the shape of the individual letters, not blinking. Denims spelled D-E-N. They toil not, neither do they. A fierce whisper of hot sand through empty seed. Denims does it. Consider the lilies, the lilies, the lilies. Denims dental detergent. Shut up, shut up, shut up. It was a plea, a cry so terrible that Montag found himself on his feet. The shocked inhabitants of the loud car staring, moving back from this man with the insane gorged face, the gibbering, dry mouth, the flapping book in his fist, the people who had been sitting a moment before tapping their feet to the rhythm of Denim's gentrifice, Denim's dandy dental detergent, Denim's dentrifice, 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 one, two, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, three. And so, this is, um... Where Montag is, let's see. I want to say this might be actually no, this is before. Okay, sorry, I'm getting off track. So this is when Montag leaves his home. I'm thinking to go to work, and he's just on the subway. He's bringing one of the books with him that was hidden in his house. And he's trying to read it, and he doesn't care that he's in public, because, like, if you're caught with a book in public, you could technically be reported right then and there and get in trouble. But I guess the people didn't really do much about it until he started kind of freaking out about not being able to think, not being able to read because of the denim stentrifice that was playing over them, over the speakers. And so that's what he's getting overwhelmed about. That's what is being desperate about is that he's just so desperate to just remember at least one line at least one line of one book and then he'll be good but he can't even do that because again this kind of like momentous situation showing that society is preventing him from doing that because he can't really concentrate and it's just the speaker saying over and over again this one phrase denim's dentrifice and like he doesn't even really, well, for me at least, I don't even really know what that means. I don't think he knows what that means. And so it's just very overwhelming. Now we're going to page 78 to show one of Montag's main desires. He has a couple. And I might go to the other pages that show them as well. So it's shown on page 78, 136, and 154. Um, yeah, I think I'll go through those couple of other pages. But for now, 78, his desire. So, nobody listens anymore. I can't talk to the walls because they're yelling at me. I can't talk to my wife. She listens to the walls. I just want someone to hear what I have to say. And maybe if I talk long enough, it'll make sense. I don't want you to teach me to understand what I read. Okay, so I got that wrong. So, Montag had just contacted Faber. And... Because, like I said earlier, they had met at the park, and Faber gave Montag his number. Faber was like, do with it what you will. And they were just really strangers, and they just didn't really talk. It was mostly Faber just talking about whatever he wanted to. And so Montag is now like, well, since I want to change and I actually want to save books, who can I go to to help me? And so he's like, ah, Faber. So he goes to Faber, and now we're trying to find out what's going on and we find out that Montag just wants to be heard he wants to find out the truth he wants things to make sense again and then we go to page 136 and it says a cool glass of fresh milk and a few apples and pears laid at the foot of the steps this was all he wanted now 
some sign that the immense world would accept him and give him the long time he needed to think all the things that must be thought. And so this takes place after um, his wife and her friends have called in a report saying, hey, so Montag has been hiding these books in his house and we need you to come over. And this is where like Mildred has already left him and Montag goes to favor like, hey, um, so me, my boss, and my whole entire fire department crew, we went, I burned my house, I burned my boss, so murdered him, um, and now I'm a fugitive on the run. So I'm like, where can I go? And so Faber's like, yeah, I was there, and I was confused, and I was like, what happened? Did he find us out? Because, like, um, Faber had given Montag an earpiece, so that way Faber could talk to him, and Montag could talk back to Faber, and so Faber just could, like, lead him through. But then BB found the earpiece, and then, well, Montag was just burning everything, the earpiece got burned as well. So now they're trying to come up with a plan really quick, and Faber is able to do it really successfully. And so Montag runs away, he runs into farmland, the forest, whatever you want to call it, to the wilderness. And he comes across this barn, so he sleeps in there, I guess one of the people notices, and they don't, yeah, they're not mad at him. So they just leave a plate of food and some drink for him, and he's very grateful for that. So yeah, that's what happened, and I'm pretty sure I talked about this in one of my other episodes where I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is Clarice, I hope it's Clarice, because I really don't want her to have died off. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty much my opinion, but yeah. So that's 136, now we go on to page 154. And this is like towards the very end where he finally meets Granger and the rest of the book revolutionaries. Well, not the rest, but some of the others. And. Okay, sorry, back again. So apparently the audio cut off. So basically, 154 um, talks about how Montag really wants to go through with this trying to restore books again. And he's just ready to take on the challenges, even though it's really big. And he only, like, has really dipped his toes in the waters. He's, like, ready to dive in, even though it's going to take a long time to get there. So, yeah, we see that. And then I want to take you guys to page 81, where it shows more of his intellectual side. I mean, you could really see his intellectuality grow throughout the book, but I just wanted to address it on page 81. And it goes like this. That's the good part of dying. When you've nothing to lose, you run any risk you want. There, you said an interesting thing, laughed Faber, without having read it. Are things like that in books? But it came off the top of my mind. All the better. You didn't fancy it up for me or anyone, even yourself. And that's just where you really see Montag really give himself his own advice or just make up advice on his own. And it's pretty good advice to him. And I think that's just his intuition, reflection, and all of those things come together into one lesson. At least for himself. Excuse me. And so, we also see that take place on pages 133, 80, 113, and 115. See, so yeah, I want to take you to page 99 now. And again, it just shows some more that goes on with him and maybe even an, an identity crisis 
Um, let's see. I'm going to go on to page 125, where it just shows how with all of those emotions, with being overwhelmed, desperate, um, trying to figure out who he really is, he also feels guilty. And we're going to find out why. So it goes like this. Yes, I believe them. If there's nothing else, I believe. It saved itself up to happen. I could feel it for a long time. I was saving something up. I went around doing one thing and feeling another. God, it was all there. It's a wonder it didn't show on me like fat. And now here I am, messing up your life too. They might follow me here. And so we see how he feels guilty about bringing Faber into it, but then Faber reassures him like, hey, no, I want to be in this too. And we also see some guiltiness, like before when Montag was like, shouldn't I be ashamed of myself for not feeling anything for Mildred, for not feeling anything for this marriage? And so yeah, that's just the last thing I wanted to mention, which I also believe correlates with his capacity to feel pain and compassion. And that's it for this episode, and I also believe that's it for this podcast. I'm not never going to post on this podcast again, it's just going to be a long time until I do. But thanks for tuning in, for going through this month, well, I think it was like maybe five months of being on here. Um, Just thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed and that you're staying safe and just once again thank you so much for just hearing some random girl in this world talk about characters in a book that she read and yeah just thank you so much (laughs) um see you guys next time don't know when that'll be but thanks again bye